Listener supported. WNYC Studios. At that point, our whole mentality was basically make it into the industry, get a full-time job. Um, and we're also chasing this like possibly imaginary concept that we had heard of called stability. Um, but once we finally found that, we were kind of like, so what do we do now? Getting a steady job in podcasting isn't easy. But once you have a job, how do you measure growth or negotiate for a raise or make sure you don't get stuck in a rut? In this conversation, two producers share what they've learned about how to keep themselves motivated to produce great work. I'm Tanzina Vega, and this is Work It, the podcast, a compilation of some of the best moments from the live event. Hello, everyone. I'm Adiza Egan. I'm a producer at Snap Judgment. Hi, and I'm Liz Mack. I'm also a producer at Snap Judgment. Um, Welcome to Unstuck in the Middle. Uh, So today we're going to just talk about when you reach the beginning of the mid-career phase. Uh, So also, if you'd like to tweet at us, you know, share your thoughts or your questions, um, praise. Uh, that'd be great. Uh, we'd like this to be a conversation, so just hashtag it, work it unstuck. That is work it with an E. Yes, and I think we imagined this conversation to be like the conversation that you have with a friend in the, you know, at the park, in a bar, or like uh, at a coffee shop or something, where you're like, ah, I don't know what I'm doing either. And so like, it would be really great if we could kind of keep that energy on Twitter. So that's our hope with using this hashtag. So please like tweet at us. Um, you know, if you have something that you want to add, tweet it and we might read it through, um, throughout our presentation. Please help us make our vision come to life. Mm -hmm. Um, So about ourselves, uh, we'll just tell you before we start. Um, Adiza and I actually began working at Snap Judgment on the very same day. Um, Our anniversary is August 8th, 2016. Mm -hmm. That's my day one. (laughs) And before we got there, um, I had been an on-call reporter at KQED, and Liz was a part-time producer and reporter at KLW, so we were both at public radio stations um, in San Francisco. And, you know, we were both going through this really intense freelancer rough patch, or actually we had just kind of like, like we saw our way out of it. So this is when you're doing like, you know, tape syncs, you're working like little jobs for like what feels like pennies. And um, it's also that point where you're not really sure if you're gonna stay in radio or like... If Does radio even want you? Yeah, and you know, <laughs> you see your other peers, some of them are like, taking jobs at coffee shops or like going into it for us it would be like oh I'm gonna take this job this like PR agency right so everyone's like kind of on the fence not really sure if they're gonna stay in the or industry. you work at a vegan restaurant for three years while you're trying to pay your bills yeah so we knew we both had skills to offer but like both of us really wanted like a job job um, an on-staff job Yeah, so at that point, our whole mentality was basically make it into the industry, get a full-time job. Um, And we're also chasing this, like, possibly imaginary concept that we had heard of called stability. Um, But once we finally found that, we were kind of like, so what do we do now? Um, And this is the idea of being stuck in the middle and also getting yourself unstuck from it. Um, You're no longer way at the bottom. You're, like, solidly in the middle. You're comfortable for the first time. Um, But at the same time, you know, like, a lot of us have ambitions. Like, you keep wanting to push yourself higher, get your skill set even better. And that means you need to make new goals. Um, You might also have to navigate through, like, previously uncharted territory, right? Like, a new kind, figuring out a new kind of work-life balance. Or you might be negotiating salaries on, like, a whole different level than you had before. 
Um, so we're going to talk about that process today as we have lived it um, and how we've been working through it um, up to today. Mm -hmm. And I think one of our big takeaways is just that having a partner really helps. Absolutely. Um, so something that worked for us as freelancers, as people in staff positions. Um, but, you know, it's interesting. So as I was thinking about what to say for this talk, um, I recently learned about um, the tendon befriend theory. Are people familiar with this? No? Okay. Who's familiar with, like, fight or flight? This is like in stressful situations, like working for a weekly show or being a freelancer. Um, you, you tend to resist and run as a, like a, a behavioral tactic. And so um, there's actually, so this was actually studied in men, which is kind of no surprise, but then um, there's this woman, Shelly Taylor, who, um, who studied women and realized that there was another type of uh, behavioral reaction that pe women had to stress, which was to tend and befriend, which is basically like, in stressful situations, women band together and support one another. And um, so, you know, I think this is pretty apt for what Liz and I have been doing throughout our two years at SNAP. We work at like a weekly show. We have to put out something um, pretty much every week. We're supposed to produce like a certain amount of stories every month, you know, and so there's, and then we started and we didn't really know what we were doing. So we've kind of used this tendon befriend model to help like lift each other up. Yeah, and I just want to say we are not experts. <laughs> this is just some stuff that we have picked up along the way. Um, so in some ways, this is kind of going to just go back through our past two years together, through these conversations that we've had and how we've dealt with it um, as a team. So first off, we're going to talk about assessing your skills. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I'm just, this PowerPoint is, I feel like I'm doing a lot right now. It's like two hands. <laughs> Um, okay, so when you first start your job, it can feel like there's so much to learn. I know when I started at Snap two years ago, I didn't know how to use Pro Tools, right? So I was just like, I gotta get better, I gotta be fast, I gotta do this thing. Everybody's learning Pro Tools. And, um, and so, we, so when you have little situations like that, like little tiny skills that you're trying to learn as you're working on your job, it's hard to figure out like if you're any good. And I think both of us were trying to figure out like, okay, we made it here, but like, are we good? Are we decent, really? <laughs> and it wasn't until we were about like a year in that we were like, okay, like I feel okay, we're no longer running to catch up. So we actually took a pause and we were like, okay, like let's actually just sit down and get like an analytical overview of all the work that we've done in the past year. And by taking that pause and just looking back, we were able to see how far we had actually come. Mm -hmm. And there's some ways that you can do this, um, that you can measure your progress. And um, I actually, someone that helped me kind of figure my way through this was uh, Juleka Lentigua Williams of Lentigua Williams and Co. And mm -hmm. I, I, I was talking to her on the phone and basically like, how do I like assess myself? Like, what do I do? And she, she kind of like gave me this, uh, this like framework and it was already something that I was doing naturally. So one thing you can do is think about like, how long are my stories now versus my stories a year ago? And this was definitely something like when I would finish like a, you know, like a, my first like, 30 minute story, I'd be like, okay, like last year, like your longest story was 14 minutes, you know, moving on up. And then um, after that, you know, it was also like, okay, voices in a story. Um, 
normally I was used to producing like when in terms of narrative movies that sound like um, kind of like uh, narrative stories that sound like audio movies I was used to producing with one voice and then you know a year in I was doing a story with six voices okay progress right another thing is like how many stories did you see from the idea stage to the end that you were able that like came through your brain that you were able to kind of like pitch and execute and see out um, you know in the world and then another thing too to think about is like how long does it take you to finish your tasks I think you know there can be a lot of outside factors that um, that can affect this but this is just kind of like a light framework um, for you but, you know, and then by doing this, it can also help you identify your strengths. So um, as you're thinking about some of the stories that you've worked on, in this case, what I've done is like in the past year, um, one other thing that's helpful to think about is like, what kind of stories do I gravitate towards? And I think something else that's also helped me in like some of my lower moments um, is like, what are some of the things that people have complimented me on? And, you know, and when I think about that, it's like, okay, um, this is clearly something that I'm good at. So those are a couple of things that you can keep in mind. Um, if all else fails, just rely on external validation. Yes, yes. Um, and then also, so once you kind of figure out, you know, you assess yourself, you figure out your skill level, um, you also want to think about what kind of things can keep you motivated. So our managing editor, Anna Sussman, um, said this thing to us basically. She was like, she's been at SNAP for over eight years, and she was like, you know, one way I keep myself excited and keep myself motivated is by having one story that I'm proud of a year. And Anna probably produces anywhere from like 12 to 24 stories in a year. And so for her to just have like one big story that she's really proud of, um, is I, that, that was really interesting for me to hear, you know, because I think for me, like, I'm like, I want to have, like, be proud of every story, but sometimes that can't be the reality when you have to produce, produce, produce. Um, so, you know, one good story or just, like, one thing that you can hold on to. Um, so just on the next slide, um, we're going to talk about just a big part, another big part of leveling up is learning how to create and define your boundaries. Um, I think especially at the start, a lot of us are eager to show that, you know, we're willing, you know, we're enthusiastic, like I'll do anything that you ask me to do. Um, and there comes a time when you have to learn to more closely guard your resources and your time and to just be a little stingy. And that is totally okay. Um, and, you know, I also want to emphasize that when you learn to be stingy, it's also a really natural way to eliminate things that don't matter to you anymore. Um, you know, when, just like a personal example. So when I had been consulting, um, when I was a freelancer, I didn't know what I was worth. Um, there was a time when I got offered a gig for $25 an hour, and I was like, I'm going to stand up for myself and ask for $30 an hour, because I had no idea um, that that was a really, really low rate. Um, and after I got the job at Snap Judgment, when I stopped being like so hand in mouth, I started to realize the value of my time. Um, I was doing work that I already cared about. It was high profile, so naturally I had less time than before. But it also made me a lot pickier about the outside work I did and how much I did charge. Um, and I think there's something that was super helpful in figuring out what to charge for things. Um, and it's something that actually Seth Samuel said, um, he's someone who was working as a sound engineer at KLW, and he said, don't accept work for an amount that will make you feel grumpy while doing the job. Um, and I think, you know, I could have looked at however many rubrics or talked to so many people about how much did you charge for this job, but this was like the most concrete, um, helpful 
tool that, that I had uh, for figuring out how much to charge. Um, and it helped me to get concrete results too. Um, after I started at Snap Judgment, whenever we would get offers for outside gigs, I would just, I started to just list some amount that seemed kind of ridiculous to me. Um, you know, whereas I had been making $30 an hour before, I started to say $150 an hour. Um, and if they didn't reach that goal, I just wouldn't do it. Um, but more often than not, people would say yes. Um, and I know Adiza, you know, she had been doing $100 tape syncs and then she started just doing $150 tape syncs. And I want to say that I also realized, like, we don't always have the luxury to turn down work, you know, and I, I realized, like, I had a salary job at the time and so that helped me reach another level of security that I had not had before. Um, but, like, when you start valuing yourself, you can start to do less work and get more for it. So that was really helpful for me to learn. And some of the rates, too, were places that it was like, they have deep pockets. And like, this is your opportunity to really like secure the bag, you know? And it's when you need to be like, oh, I charge like 150 an hour. Like, there are some places where it's like, you can do that. They're like institutions. Um, and then there are other places where the rate is different. So it was just also about like, realizing the difference between who was asking um, for, your, for your time. Um, but yeah, so I want to say along those lines, like everybody's financial situation is different. And so I think like our takeaway here, like sometimes you got to hustle and that's definitely part of it. But I think it's really important to um, start thinking about your time, your value, knowing your worth, um, and also prioritizing like the interests and the work that you want to do, because that's important too. And I think what it also helps you do is establish the foundation of your work-life balance. Um, you know, the reason we kicked off the session with assessing your skills was hopefully that you'll realize that in, an, in a year's time, like, it will take you a lot less time to do something that it took you before. Like, for me, you know, it took me a certain amount of hours to cut, like, a, a five-minute story, ten-minute story, and I've realized that I can do that a lot faster just from experience. So knowing that also frees up your time. It gives you more hours to do some of the other things that you want to do in life. Um, so what does that look like? Okay, so once I realized that I had some time or I could do that, um, I started scheduling mornings for myself. So when I was a freelancer, I would schedule like Tuesday mornings were my time and that was going to be my time to do whatever I wanted. And then as soon as I got my job, that wasn't necessarily an option. But then it, and one thing that I noticed that started to happen was that when I would, I wouldn't finish something and I would just leave things to be like, okay, I'll finish it on the weekend. And and that was eating away at my weekend and I was starting to work all the time. And so something that I started doing was like, okay, no more work on the weekends unless you absolutely have to. And it made me work more efficiently and more and like a lot quicker because I was like, you can't do this on the weekend, you're not doing this on the weekend. And I was still able to get most of my things done, most of my work done. Yeah, I mean, that's a big part of defining your boundaries is just saying no to things. Um, you do not have to volunteer for everything to show that you're a team member. I mean, I think th along the same lines as Sadiza, I mean, I think we were all working on weekends for like a really long time where, you know, they'll say, hey, there's a hole in the show. Anyone, can anyone fill it? And I'd be like, oh yeah, like, you know, my show's, my story's almost done and it wouldn't be. And then I would kill myself all weekend and then pretend that like I just hadn't um, and it had been ready. And you, you don't have to do that. Um, I think, you know, you should be able to say, hey, my story is not ready, I need the time, my story needs the time. And I think when you're allowed, when you allow yourself to do that, and I think a lot of times we impose that on ourselves, um, 
you can you then decide what you want to prioritize, um, and that also makes you more of an expert at the type of work that you decide that you want to do. Mm -hmm. Like I, I really think we glorify overworking a lot in this industry, and um, and it's like everybody thinks they have to make all of this content, but I think it's actually like creating this really big problem of how efficiently we work, and if we're all supposed to, you know, if the idea is that. Ideally, as you get higher and higher, you should be able to do these things more quickly, like you could have time for yourself. Um, but I'm not seeing that happening, I, and I, that's something I want. So like, my hope is that we start to think about how to work sustainably instead of like doing all this crazy stuff, doing all this crazy content, you know, feeling like we have to make it all. Um, so yeah, so just working sustainably for me and for other people too. Um, so we're just gonna do a little tweet patrol. Um, so <laughs> just looking at the work it um, unstuck hashtag. Someone was saying, "Oh my God, I'm always wondering if I'm any good." Uh, I feel like that's been my entire career, basing everything off of fear, anxiety, and perfection. Mm -hmm. um, that was also my entire career. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> until and, like last year. <laughs> yeah, and I definitely think like there's this point where you're trying to do so much. And it, for me, it felt like it was really in the beginning and it felt like there was this really steep learning curve and that just became like my MO. Oh, there's this really steep learning curve. I'm not good enough yet. I'm not there, uh, you know? And then I had to stop and be like, wait a second. Okay, I've been saying this for the last year or two. Like, this, this isn't right anymore. And so, and it was really like through conversations with Liz that I started to realize, okay, I don't have to say this anymore. And we started to change what the message was like to ourselves. Yeah, and I think like especially you know when you're a freelancer or you're trying to like get in somewhere, it is a really scary situation. Like I, I doubted like my self worth and my ability to do work for a very long time, and I think it's also because like the growth that you make as a radio producer anyway is very incremental. Um, you know, there's no like concrete like oh I just leveled up from green to red. Um, you know, it it may just be that you're in a story edit and like you realize how to tackle with this like you know, this turn of phrase. Um, so it, it is very small, and I think that's a hard thing about it. Um, but there's a certain point where it's like, once you've reached the middle, or a little bit like maybe like upper middle, um, I think you don't need as much outside validation because you're starting to realize like, I actually know how to do this. Um, and you, you've reached fewer roadblocks. Mm -hmm. um, so we want to talk about building a professional network and how you broaden that as you kind of grow up. So um, okay. both of us kind of, I made a great illustration for this. There's, so I'm really no, sad. there's no more presentation. So, both of us realized that um, when we first started in the industry, our network was kind of this horizontal line, which is on the next slide. Um, and the people that we really knew at the time were other freelancers or interns. You know, they're the people that you turn to when you're like, I don't know. What, this is my illustration. Um, <laughs> I'm a line artist on the side. Um, so, you know, the, the people who are on your horizontal network, like, they're the people where you're like, ah, oh, like, I don't know how to do this, or like, can you read my email, and, you know, is it, like, assertive enough, but also, like, not angry, you know, and, like, these are all the people who, who you can connect yourself with. And as, as you kind of get in the middle, you start to notice the shift where your network shifts from a horizontal line to a vertical line. Like, people on the top are now taking interest in you, and this is your opportunity to kind of level up to the next, the next thing. Mm -hmm. And for me, this felt like a major moment. Um, you know, it felt like someone was asking me, like, okay, like, do you want to step up and be a leader? And so, and I was like, yes, I do, you know? And so, um, ultimately, like, 
I did because it was like I didn't want to just be the beneficiary of someone's goodwill, but I wanted to continue to like reach my hand back and pull other people up who were, you know, in this horizontal line and who were trying, who were like shifting to this vertical line. And so I think that's something that's also important to think about, kind of as you're transitioning in your career. Um, I would encourage people to like step up and be a leader, or just don't forget about the people who were are in the position that you once were in. Um, another tip too with building your networks is like find, the, I feel like there are so many different silos within the audio world. Um, there's comedy people, there's uh, indies, there's, uh, there's the radio, kind of like the public radio space, and there's music people. And all of these people are interested and like very capable of making podcasts, and these could be your next, like this could be your next partner or something. And so my hope for people is like, as we're kind of in this wild, wild west of like podcasting, that like you go out and also find people who are in other industries, because that could be your next partner. And I think sometimes it can feel like, I feel limited when I just think about the world of, of radio being um, just these podcasts or like just a couple public radio stations. But I get a lot of strength from knowing that there are a ton of black women who are indie podcast people. There's a ton of people who are music engineers. There's so many people who have skills. So I also encourage you to reach out to these people because you never know where you could end up. And you don't want to limit what you're even dreaming of doing in the future. Mm -hmm. So um, we're going to get to the good stuff. So the next part is just um, negotiating salaries and how we've managed that. Oh, man. No slide. Okay. It's, the slide says negotiate salaries. <laughs> yeah. <Oops. laughs> um, you know, I think when we first started, um, when we were negotiating, something that we talked about is, like, we didn't know, we didn't realize that, like, we, we could, we were, we didn't realize our value, basically. And I think both of us were coming from this position and this place of asking, you know, like, oh, can you give me more money? Like, oh, you know, am I worthy of being Please. here? Yeah, versus being like, I'm a boss. Like, give me my money. You know, like, I have value. That's not and, how you ask, by the way. <laughs> but uh, basically, I, and, and I had this quote that my sister sent to me. Um, which I then sent to Liz when we were getting ready to negotiate our salaries. And it said, your salary isn't something that will deplete the company. You're being hired to generate value for them. And, um, and it was, there was just something about that quote that made things click for me. Um, you know, I have people in my life who are, who are business women, who are like experts in negotiating salaries, but there was something about this very simple quote that just made it all make sense. That, and I felt like, okay, you are definitely asking and you don't need to do that. Like you have value and you can go into that room and assert, you know, share your value um, with your boss. Yeah, so, you know, just some concrete tips. And, you know, these are tips that worked out for us. You know, we had a very lucky situation that we were both together. Um, so we realized this may not apply to everybody. Um, but I think there are some things that you can take away. So one of the biggest things that we learned about salary negoti negotiations at this point was that transparency mm -hmm. was huge. Um, and I think that transparency just started between, comp between, between you and us. me. Between us. We realized um, we were paid the same. Yeah, we started talking to each other and just figured out, like, oh, we're paid the same. And that was our impetus. 
Um, and then that transparency went up to the next level where we started talking to other people. And that meant our coworkers or people who had previously worked in our positions. And we started asking them questions like, what did you start at? When did you get raises? How often did you get a raise? Um, how much? Um, and you know, I think when you're doing salary negotiations, there's that first practicality of like, uh, how much do I ask for? And like, what can I even ask for? Um, and I think when you have solid numbers and facts, it really makes you braver to ask for that, that much more because you've done your research. Mm -hmm. And then another thing too that you can do, um, I think there's a lot of people who are, once again, in new companies, new spaces, um, small teams, and so you can be like, what can I even ask for? And so something that you can do is reach out to people in other industries to see what kind of benefits that they have, um, what kind of policies that they have, what kind of structures that they have that you like, um, that you could also work into your negotiation for yourself. Um, another thing is just banding together. Uh, so our experience was that we started on the very same day. Uh, we checked in with the other person throughout the whole process to just be like, hey, what is it that you want? Let me just keep you on track for remembering what it is that you're working for. Um, and we practiced how we would talk to our bosses. Um, and when it came time to actually negotiate, we went into that room together at the same time. And we were lucky to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. It's what we like to call the tend and befriend effect. Um, but ultimately, like what we learned from each other, it felt like I had a coach. And so I had things that I wanted to say that if I was just working by myself, I probably would have been like, mm, don't say that. So, you know, don't even think, I wasn't going to think about how to rework it. I'm just not going to say that. But then Liz would be like, okay, how about if you say this instead or like try this? And so it helped me feel more confident about the things that I wanted to say and didn't know how to say. And then it was also nice to have someone else there that almost was giving me permission to, um, to say some of the things that I did want to say. And it was like, this is important. You should definitely share it. And, and this is a two-way street, right? Like Adiza did so much for me. And I think also our different sensibilities uh, really helped here. You know, like growing up, like my cultural background, it could just be my family. You know, I was never taught to ask for things from my superiors and I didn't even know that I could. Um, and so there were things that Adiza would come up with that I would be like, I would have never thought of that. Yeah, we were basically like hyping each other up so we could walk into the meeting and ask for like what a white dude would ask for. So um, I just yeah. want to like also just give you this line that is Adiza's power line that has always stuck with me. Um, going into the negotiation room and saying, here's the amount that will keep us motivated to continue to produce the high quality of work we are already producing. Mm -hmm. That was really helpful. Mm -hmm. That's an Adiza original. <laughs> um, and last but not least, our last tip for this is that uh, you can always come back. Um, and this is, once again, I think like, you can find this other places, but sometimes it's nice to just kind of like spitball with people. And so we, this kind of came to us in a spitball session with someone and she was just like, you don't have to say anything after the meeting, like you can come back. You can we leave like, the room and then come back when you're ready. Yeah, we we're like, but, um, but yeah, like you can always come back. So uh, that's, that's that. So, you know, just wrapping up, like in some ways this talk is about the awkward middle phase of your career and figuring out how to move on from there. But I think one of our biggest takeaways is um, that we could have never gotten unstuck without the other person. Mm -hmm. 
And these are the people who right now, like they're the ones helping you through writing the emails and negotiating your salary and whatnot. But then this can also be the person who will help me find my next job or help me get into that next position. And so you, you know, this is just the beginning and the, the relationship can stretch into so many different um, areas. Yeah, and I think today these are the people who help you think through stories or support you in the day-to-day -day stuff, but tomorrow they're the people who are gonna be looking out for you and recommending you for jobs um, as you make your way out of the middle. So thank you. <laughs>that was Adiza Egan and Liz Mack speaking at the 2018 Work It Festival. Both the festival and the podcast are produced by WNYC Studios and are made possible by a grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Event sponsors include Spotify, Captera, Stitcher, Art19, Pandora, Himalaya, and Yale School of Management. 